You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Sarah and I went to Montana uh, about a year ago, and I've told you all this, and I told her this, that's the only place I've ever been to on vacation that was actually hard for me to leave. Like, I didn't want to come home. Um, but, and I think about Montana all the time, like, man, I could really live there. And then winter comes, and they have snow for seven months. I'm like, never mind. I don't like it that much. I remember every time winter comes to West Texas, and our winters are not bad compared to the northern states, and I realize I'm just not cut out for that kind of stuff. I'm a fair weather fan, through and through. If the weather's not great, uh, it's going to have a factor on what I'm doing that day. And like today, it's not going to be very much, because uh, I don't like being cold. And Sarah, I, well, I won't say that, but the older I get, the colder I get. She's going the other direction. She's getting warmer. I'm getting colder. I, I sleep with a heat. If you went to our house, you'd see my side of the bed. You would think that would be the typical Sarah side of the bed, the girl's side of the bed. It's got a heated blanket. It's got a lot of pillows. So I can be cozy. No, that's me. It's me because I, I I'm just not built for the cold. Uh, but anyways, uh, good morning. We're two weeks into our series, Who is Sundown Church? Uh, and this is just, again, this is an opportunity for those new to our church and those who have been here for years. This is important. This is uh, I heard this, this is something that Bill Johnson does. He keeps with him a book of all of, the, all of the promises from the Lord. And like when he's on a plane flying somewhere, that's what he's reading. He's reading over the promises that the Lord has spoken over him and the house that he ministers in, his family, his friends, and different things like that that he's been a part of. He, re- he reads over them so that he would constantly keep them at the forefront of his mind. How many of you know you'll for- you won't see the promise come to fruition if you've forgotten the promise in the first place? You won't know when it's come because you're not looking for it. And so it's important for this house to come back to the teachings that have allowed us to get to the place that we're at now. The freedom that we experience, the things that we believe, the the worship that we get to encounter on a Sunday morning, this has all been built and the Lord has released revelation over years and years and years that has allowed us to come to this place. And so it's important for us to remember those and to learn these things uh, and all that He has done here and all that He has taught, all the revelation that He's revealed here, all the freedom that He has led us into so that it would stay at the forefront of our minds again. And... uh, when we establish these truths together, when we, when we recall these truths together, we learn these truths and we, they're at the forefront of our minds and we, remembers, we remember all that the Lord has spoken, what we do is we create unity between one another because there's unity with the Father. If I know what He's spoken and I know what He's speaking and I know how active He is in my story and I recognize that, it's not only going to create unity between me and Him, but if there's unity between me and Him, then there's unity with you and me. If we are all together keeping the truth and the revelation that the Lord has revealed at the forefront of our minds. Uh, We started last week with this truth. uh, And this truth is something that we stand on here. And it's, it's profound to me how many Christians do not understand this, have never heard this, and do not consider this to be true about who the Lord is and His love towards them. And the truth is, is that you are fully known and fully loved by God. 
This is a, you can't, we, it doesn't matter what you learn. If you don't know that, without a shadow of a doubt, everything else is pointless. Don't bother learning anything else if you can't get past that truth. If you can't receive that truth, just stop and sit there till you, till you receive it in fullness. That you are fully known by God and fully loved by God. He is the only one on this earth that has ever been and ever will be that has ever been able to fully know you. Think about what that means to be fully known. There's a lot that happens between our ears that no one ever knows. Not always, not bad all the time. Sometimes bad, right? When that person cuts you off and you're like, oh, oh I thought some things about you that weren't very Jesus-like, right? Um, and different things like that. Things that you've done behind closed doors, stories that you have that no one's known uh, dreams that you've had that you've not shared because you've been too scared to share these dreams with anybody else. They're too vulnerable. They're too deep. They're too close to your heart. These things, the Lord has known all of these things since the beginning of time. Before they were thoughts in you, before they existed in your heart, He knew them about you and He loved you no matter what. To be fully known and fully loved by God, we have to understand this. He knows every thought that you've ever had. And he still, he loves us. He fully, completely, and totally loves us. And how can we not give all of ourselves to the only one to fully know and fully love us? If you just simply reflect on this truth as I have for the last two weeks, I've just been reflecting on this truth, what it is to be fully known by God. It will draw you into deeper relationship with God as truth is meant to. All revelation, all truth that the Lord deposits in you is not meant to just be stored in your head as knowledge. It is meant and it is created and it exists that it would draw you deeper into Him. The only way it doesn't draw you deeper is if you spend no time thinking about it. Because if you spend the smallest amount of time thinking about the fact that you are fully known and fully loved by God, a perfect creator who has never done anything wrong, but he sent his son to die for you so that you wouldn't bear the punishment of your actions, he fully loved you enough to do this. He fully knew you, knowing that you would still, even after the sacrifice of Jesus, even after receiving the grace and goodness of salvation, that you were still going to mess up. And he still did it. If you think about that for any time at all, it will draw you into deeper places with Him. And with all this said, are you ready for this morning? There's lots of good truth coming, uh, coming your way. Uh, this is life-changing truth, world-altering truth. I don't say this from a place of arrogance. I say this from a place of experience. Because it changed my life and it altered my world. The truth that we're about to get in, there's a lot. I got 11 pages of notes. There's a lot that we're getting into this morning. So I'm going to go quickly. Um, I, I, again, I know that this truth that the Lord has brought for this morning, I know that this is life-changing and world-altering because it changed my life and it altered my world. Uh, and before we move on, I'm just, I just need to ask. This is an important question that we should ask ourselves every Sunday, every day. Are you open to revelation and truth from the Lord that would change the way you live your life right now? Are you open to Him shifting your perspective and understanding of the world around you with a release of truth and revelation? If we live open to that on a regular basis, you better hold on because you're in for a wonderful and crazy ride. But this needs to be the position of our hearts that I am absolutely open to that this morning. Open to life 
life-transforming truth and open to worldview being transformed? If the answer is yes, good, then let's go. If the answer is no, we'll spend some time there. Is the answer yes? All right, amen. Turn with me to James 2, 14 through 26. Being James 2. We know this passage. This is the faith and works passage. This is important to set up where we're going this morning. Uh, Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also is faith apart from works, dead. Faith. Faith is meant to be a producer of fruit. Faith will always produce fruit. Understand this. Faith will always produce fruit. That, uh, uh, that's, that's works. Um, but we, always, we will always, again, we will always produce fruit in our life based on what we put our faith in. Faith will always produce fruit. And you will know what your faith is in based on the fruit of your life. If it is in yourself, you will see the fruit of faith in self. If it is in your job, you will see the fruit of faith in a job. If it is in the Lord, you will see the fruit of faith placed in the Lord. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? Faith will always produce fruit. You will always know where your faith lies based on the fruit that you produce in your life. So a few questions. How does faith grow? How does it increase? And where Does it come from? These are important questions. These are basic questions, but these are questions that so many Christians, if I were to go to a church right now, and this is not to dog on other churches or anything like that. It's just that we we oftentimes oftentimes forget to teach in depth the basic truths. But you've got to learn how to crawl before you can walk and walk before you can run, right? And, and a lot of times we get bigger eyes than we have stomachs and we go for bigger truths that we really don't have business wandering into yet because we don't have the fundamentals understood. That's why I said at the beginning of this, if you can't get to this understanding of receiving that you're fully known and fully loved, there is no point in us moving on. That's not a negative thing. I'm just saying that's where we need to spend time because that truth has to be understood before anything else can be rightly received. Do you hear what I'm saying? Ephesians 2 verse 4, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Church, faith comes from encounter. Faith comes, it originates, its originating place is encounter. We, I, I've had this term, uh, I used this when I was a youth pastor, uh, the Lord just led me to this, but when I was thinking about that gift of faith, that deposit of faith that comes from the very first encounter we have with God, and that's the moment of salvation in your story, that very first gift of faith, uh, what I've called is just this abiding faith, it's this faith that we are to remain in, this basic truth that God is good and He loves me. I don't know that I've ever heard a salvation story where that truth was absolutely and completely not present. It is always present, that truth, that the moment of salvation, it is this realization. I remember my moment of salvation, this realization that, oh, he's good and he loves me and I'm, I'm not. I'm not worthy of any of that. But he says that I am. But I've not done anything to earn any of that. He's just giving it to me. He's good and he loves me. That was at the moment of salvation for me, and I know so many of you, that was that moment. You can articulate that. That's this abiding faith. But this faith was, again, it was implanted in us at this very first moment of encounter. And you got to think about that. How could any of us create faith within ourselves to believe in God? What point would there be for Jesus? If I have the power to do it myself and create it within myself to be connected back to God and cross the gap that was created from the wages of sin, what point is there for Jesus? But no, not a one of us were able to cross that gap. Not a one of us were able to do what Jesus did. And so he comes and he gives us this, he gives us this encounter. We have this encounter. And what grows out of this encounter is faith. It's not our doing. It was his. Because he showed up, I now have faith. Because now I've experienced that he is who he says he is. What is faith? I have faith in my car when I get in it that it's going to turn on when I turn the key. Why do I have that faith? Because I've experienced it. More than once. I've experienced it a lot. I've experienced it every day. So when we encounter God, faith is a byproduct. Faith, again, it is the evidence of relationship. Not just simply salvation, but active relationship with God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if we have and pursue relationship, not only does faith increase, but we find ourselves right in the middle of the will of God. Understand this. If you are in the place where faith grows, you're in the will of God. You're existing exactly where you're meant to be. John 15. This is the abiding passage, an important passage. Uh, We've read this a lot in my time here. We're going to read it again. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, before I go on, two things. First thing, abide means to remain in. It's important to understand that uh, for me, I really need to understand these, the definition of these words, what, what they actually mean, but to, to remain in Him is, is what we're talking about here. And the second thing, verse 7, before we go any further, God is not a vending machine. Verse 7 is so oftentimes misunderstood. We hear that and we're like, well, if I'm a Christian, all I got to do is ask the Lord. All I got to do is ask. That, that's not what it's getting at. Because what did it talk about for six verses before it got to that one? The remaining in part. The remaining in, right? I saw some eyes. I had to, I had to do that because I saw some eyes get big out there uh, when I read that verse. Some of the men in here started thinking about all the things they didn't get for Christmas. Started thinking, all right, all I got to do is ask. He said, pastor said, just ask and it will be given to you, right? Uh, but no, all joking aside, when we encounter Jesus, faith grows and we pursue him and we find ourselves in his will, relationship deepens. We operate in obedience to his leading. Faith increases, relationship deepens, but we are also transformed. And then this is the beautiful thing about remaining in the Lord. The desires in your heart, the things that you begin to ask God for, in verse, like in verse 7, he releases those to you. And the beautiful thing about this is why. When I remain in him, when I pursue relationship with him and I pursue him and I encounter him and my faith grows and it deepens and then my relationship deepens and then my desire to be in the will of God deepens and I continue to walk in obedience because I just want to be with him. This is a cycle that is created when we pursue relationship with Jesus. So why then, when, why then after doing all of these things and being in this place and remaining in presence with God, why then can I ask him for something and he releases it? And it doesn't just say that he releases it, but it says that he releases it because he's glorified in the giving it to you. He's not only glorified, but this is how he is shouting to the world, that child belongs to me. He's not only claiming you in the answering of that prayer, he's blessing you, but he is shouting to the world, that's mine. They are mine. Why? Because those desires in your heart, they originated in his heart for you. Before they existed in your heart, they originated in his heart for your life. It's a powerful and profound design, and it's what you're meant for. It's this beautiful thing because he puts these desires, when you remain in his will, he puts these desires in your heart. He places these desires in your heart, and he just sits there and waits for you to ask for those things because those are absolutely the things that he wants to release in your story. Um, it's it's something that I've experienced as a father in just allowing my kids to spend time with me. And I say allowing because how it is so, it is so easy. And dads, I know you understand this. But it, it is so easy when you've got a project and something to do, it is really easy to convince yourself to not bring your kids along because you're just tripling the amount of time it's going to take, Right? And then it becomes like a cautionary thing. And there's like dads, when we do projects, are notoriously unsafe, right? Like if we're using a grinder, I, I bring my safety glasses everywhere. There they are. There's my safety glasses. Everybody knows this. These are things that we do. We don't wear gloves. We don't do protect anything like that. It just takes longer. So it's easy for a dad to convince himself to just not bring his kids along. But when you do, what ends up happening? 
Is those projects, those things that you learn how to do that you enjoy doing, what do you start seeing reflected in those children? Those same desires. Those same values. Those same interests and different things like that. You see these kids begin to take hold of the thing that you desire, the good things, because I want my kids to have a good work ethic, but they can't have a good work ethic if they're never around good work ethic. And if they never have to work. Right? We complain about our kids all the time. We complain about society. Oh, these kids don't know how to work. Did you take any of them to work with you? Did you just learn how to work? Any man in here that knows how to work had a father or a grandfather or an uncle that showed him. I know how to work because I had men in my life that put it on display for me. They put it on display not because I watched out the front window and watched them work. It's because I was standing right next to them in the midst of it. Right? This is the goodness of God and this is what He does. This is what happens when we abide, when we remain in. Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And when it says all things, you are included in that. Amen? You are included in the all things. You were made for Him and through Him. You are made for Him. You are made to be in His will. But church, His will, this is so important. We've, we've talked about a lot of truths already. They're coming quick, but this is so important. His will is not this narrow path, this rigorous, treacherous path that you, if you step off, you slightly step out of that path, just wild amounts of punishment and despair are coming your way. So many Christians live like they've got about this much space to operate in the will of God. That is not who God is. That is not the will of God. That's not what it looks like. You have the freedom to step into who you're called to be. And if you pursue Him... Oh, sorry. Ignore everything I just said. I switched pages and I forgot. I Just keep it for later. Store it, put it in your back pocket, and we'll pull it out in a second. Anyways, back to His will. Okay? Just making sure you're paying attention. Back to His will. Again, His will is not this, this narrow path. That is not His will. His will, this is one of the, I'm a visual person. I need visual examples. I, I am not one of those people that you can say, here's a task, it's a sheet, on a sheet of paper, read the instructions, then go do it. I need to see it done and then I can do it. Right? So when I, we're talking about things of God, I'm going to understand them in a more profound and deep way if I have a visual example in which I can latch on to. And Randy used this example about the will of God. Randy Winfrey, the pastor before me, um, that drastically transformed my life. I mean, just wildly transformed my life. The will of God is not this straight, narrow, difficult path. The will of God is like a backyard. It's like a giant backyard. Just imagine being in a backyard with your kids. There's a fence around you. There's a border. But there is wide open spaces and different things that they can do. Just, just yesterday, we're, we're in the backyard and we're doing, my kids are doing all kinds of different things. They're digging holes. They're shooting Nerf guns. They're coming with me to check cows. They're doing all this different stuff. And in all of that, they're doing all this different activity. Are they in my will? Or are they not? Did they step out of it? No. They're in my will. If I'm in the backyard with my kids and I'm working and I'm digging, I'm working on something, and they're over there playing on the swing set, are they outside of my will? No. There will be times 
in the will of God, when he's digging that hole, when he's working, he'll call you over because he needs help. He wants your help. He wants you to be a part of it. There will also be times where he's doing something over here, you're doing something over there, and that's great. There is freedom in the will of God. But just like a backyard, it has a border. And if I open that gate and I step out of it, I'm no longer in the will of God. Right? We have a great example of this. We've got, in, in sundown, you've got these yards. They're fenced in, backyards, beautiful yards. But then you step outside that fence into that alley. Does it look as pretty? It doesn't. It's not as nice. It's got tumbleweeds and trash and leaves and dirt and potholes and all this stuff. You step into the will of God, you got green grass, water, toys, things to do. There's just, there's good things in the will of God, but there's freedom in the will of God. The truth that I have noticed is the hardest for us to grasp is the freedom part, the freedom that is found in the will of God. So many of us operate like there is absolutely no freedom to be had uh, with the Lord. Galatians 5.1, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You have the freedom to abide, to remain in His will, or to depart from it. You have that freedom. Each and every day, each and every moment of every day, you have that freedom to stay in it, to abide and remain in His will or depart from it. You have the freedom to step into who you're called to be. And if you pursue Him, if you have a relationship with Him, if you walk in obedience to Him, and the natural byproduct of this is your faith is increasing, you will find yourself in an immense amount of freedom within the will of God. There is freedom in the will of God. There is freedom to make decisions. There is freedom to do things. But again, we do, uh, why do we struggle with this? We struggle with this so, uh, so intensely. It is such a wrestling match. I have conversations with Christians like this all the time. And they're just wrestling with the decision. And they're waiting on an answer from the Lord. And I'm like, what if he doesn't care? And they can't, they're like, What? No, no, he's, I've got to take a right. If I make a wrong step, I'll step out of his will. I could no, he's got to tell me what to do next. Do you understand that you could do something and it doesn't change the outcome of what he's going to do for you and through you? There are times where it doesn't, he doesn't, I don't care what job you have. It's not going to change how I use you. I don't care where you live. It's not going to change how I use you. Because there's freedom in it for you. That doesn't mean don't prayerfully consider before you do things. But if you're not hearing an answer, two reasons. He's already given you the answer and you're not listening to it because you didn't like it. Like, well, I would prefer if it looked like this and so you missed the answer. Or two, he's just waiting on you to make a decision so he can bless you. He's just waiting on you. There's freedom that you can make a decision and it not matter. It's, it's the correct one no matter what. Because it didn't matter to him. He was going to bless you no matter what. We struggle with this because we do pick up that yoke of slavery. We struggle because we don't want to mess up or miss it. Miss what he would have us do. I struggled with this. I still struggle with this from time to time. I, this fear of missing God. I don't want to miss God. I don't want to miss what he has for me. I don't want to step into something that is not his will and me miss it. But if my kid is walking towards a highway and into traffic, am I just going to watch and hope that he figures it out? No, I'm going to intervene. Because I'm a good dad. I'm an imperfect dad. But I care enough about my kid to stop them from going into places that will be to their detriment. 
right? But I also have children, and there are also times where it's, you know, I've told you this before, we have three kids, two of them, the youngest ones, if we tell them not to do something, they're going to go do that. If I say, don't touch that pan because it's hot, Kai and Eden are going to look at the pan, look at us, and touch it just to spite us. Then they'll cry, but it hurts. You didn't tell me it was that hot, right? And then the excuses and the tears and all those things. Uh, but we have to go through this, and the Lord will allow that in you sometimes. And I know that you in here have experienced that, where the Lord's like, hey, don't, 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 we don't need to do that. Like, yeah, I think I need to. No, you don't. Yeah, I, I think I need to. Okay. And then blows up in your face. You're like, why didn't you tell me I shouldn't do that? That's when he smacks you in the back of the head, right? But we do this all the time. But it comes from a place of missing out on what the Lord is going to do. And it's a slave mentality. It's an actions-based mentality that if I don't do this right, I'm going to be punished by God. If I don't do this right, then there's no grace, there's no mercy, there's no kindness, there's no salvation. I won't get into heaven if I don't do, 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 do. If every action of my life is not correct, I don't get to go to heaven. That's not what it is. Because Jesus came and He died upon that cross before you drew your first breath and before you made your first mistake. That salvation was already there for you. It was already set up for you. Again, this is a slave-based mentality. And this is an important truth for this morning. But you are not, this is so important for us to do. This is another one of uh, Randy's teachings that's just profound and changed my life. You are not a human doing. You're a human being. You are a human being. It doesn't start with what you do. It starts with who you are. And you are a child of God. You are His child. It does not start with your actions. So many of us, our walk in our minds, in our relationship with Jesus starts with me doing the right thing. It has nothing to do with that. Again, that's a slave mentality. I have to earn my keep. I have to earn my place in the master's house by doing the right things. It's the parable of, of, of the two sons. It's the, the, uh, the son that he gets his inheritance and he leaves. He does everything wrong and everything against the father. But when he comes back and he picks up the slave mentality that I can go, I can live as a slave in my father's house and that will be better than my situation. When he comes, what is he met with? He's met with grace. He's met with kindness. He's met with forgiveness because it did not matter his actions. It only mattered his title, son. You are my son, period. And the other son, he didn't grasp that either because he was constantly working for his position and his title of being a son. But he lived as a slave. He lived as a slave. So many of us, how many of us check into this mentality as a slave and then we view the way the Lord looks at us, the way he speaks to us, what he thinks about us from this position of master to slave. The slave mentality. And so the things that come out of that, the conversations that we have in our heads about what the Lord must think are never for our good, never for uplifting, never to our benefit. Roland, if you want to come on up here, Roland's going to be an example for me today. But when you operate in that mentality of that slave mentality, the things that the Lord would speak to you change very drastically. Now, if you sat in the lap of the Lord, what would He say to you? That tells you right then and there. 
what your mentality is towards him. If you've picked up the yoke of slavery or if you believe in the goodness of God that is for you, that you are a son, that you are a daughter. If this imperfect father can have unconditional love for his child, how much more can a perfect father love his children? Because it's unconditional. The second my kids came into my arms, it did not matter what they did. The title of who they were would never change. This is my son. This is my daughter. It would never change. We had, um, I, I, we, Kai, Kai's been having migraines and different stuff like that, so we're getting an MRI, but he's five, so they had to put him under, um, uh, put him to sleep. And so that was a, that, that's a, Totally, that's just crazy trying to explain what's about to happen to a five-year-old that just can't, doesn't have a concept, can't grasp it. Um, and when they finish, they come get me, and and they're wheeling him. He's still passed out, and they're 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 leading me to the uh, to the other waiting room where I have to wait because I can't be in there when he wakes up. And I get their policy. I get why they do that. Wasn't happy with it. I wasn't sitting there in a kind, nice mood. People come talk to me. I'm just like, don't talk to me right now. I'm ready to rip somebody's face off, okay, because I'm not with my child. But as, as, they, as they brought him out and were wheeling him down, he's still unconscious. He's got this breathing tube hanging out of his mouth. Totally normal thing. But just came crashing over me like, that's, that's my kid. And you just realize, you realize more than anything, when your kids are in a vulnerable state, what you would do for them. And it is, there's no shortage of what you would do for them to make their life better or to make, them, make it easier for them. Not, no shortage at all. And I am imperfect. And I'm just sitting with the Lord like this, this fire and this passion I have to de- protect my son and to love my son and to make sure that the people know that if they harm my son, there will be no corner of earth that they can hide from me. And it's like, I'm just sitting there with this. I'm like, and I am imperfect. And this is the passion I have for my kids. If we would just stop for a second and realize that that passion beyond our comprehension is what he has when he thinks of you. When he thinks of you, that we could ju- if we could just rest in this reality that I am his kid, and that is who I am, that before the foundations of the earth were formed, he loved me with this passion. This book, church, this book, this is another truth that is so profound and so important for us to understand. This book is looked at by so many as a book of instruction, a book of what to do. But what did James say? Works, he testifies to the works, the works of his life testify to what his faith is in. And if you have faith in a slave mentality and a master and son, a master and slave relationship, then those are the fruits that will be produced. But if you have faith in the fact that he is my perfect father and I am his son, in which he finds no fault in me, he sees me as blameless because I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. He looks at me with pride and joy, not disappointment. He doesn't talk to heaven and be like, well, that, one, that Parker kid, he's, he'll figure it out eventually, but he's been a hard one. No, he looks at me and says, look at what my son is doing. Look at him. This morning, he chose me. This morning, he's pursued me. Look at him. There's pride. There's joy in it. 
And when we recognize that, we recognize that this is not a book of instruction. This is a book of identity. This is a book that if you read this from cover to cover, all it is testifying is who He is and who you are within Him. And you will always land at the same conclusion when you read it from this perspective. That I I am not a slave. He is not my master. He is my father and I am His son. I am His child. And when you understand this truth, when you recognize this truth, everything about this book and everything about your understanding of God will shift. Once you understand that, once you understand who you are and you remain in this truth, the works that will come... The fruit of who you are and the fruit that you will produce in your life, it will absolutely and completely and totally change the world because this is the life that we're meant to live. It's not a life based on actions. It is a life based on identity. That when I understand who I am and whose I am, the actions of my life will take care of themselves. When my kids know that they're mine, they know that there are actions that come with that things and standards and things that they will do because they know who they belong to. And it's profound and it's necessary for us to understand that we have got to understand that it, does not, it is not about the things that you do in this world. That is supposed to be something that comes later. It's about knowing who you are and who you belong to. And it's, you are not a slave, you are not a servant, you are a son, you are a daughter. And when you understand that truth, everything else will start to fall in place as it should. And that is a truth that we believe profoundly in this house. That it is about who you are and whose you are, not what you do. The actions are always, they always take care of themselves once I understand who I am and whose I am. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? Do you believe me this morning? I, I challenge you this week, as I challenged you last week to think about that, really think about that, that reality that you're fully known and fully loved. This week, I challenge you to begin to read this book, but read it from a point of identity, not a point of instruction. Read it and read it as it's te- like it's telling you about who you are and telling you whose you are, that I am his son, I am his kid. I'm his child. Read it from that perspective and that book will transform your life. It's in, it's in that right understanding that this book, oh man, it'll get a hold of you in a profound and mighty way and it will change your life and you will fall in love with the words on these pages. But if you look at it from a place of instruction, you'll only find tediousness and exhaustion and turmoil because that's not what it's meant to be. It's about who you are. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.